Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Harmony. And we are Lymphatic Care. The Naked Truth. We are going to dive into the lymphatic system, discuss how the system has let clients down due to lack of resources, education and knowledge on the challenges that affect the lymphatic system. We are looking forward to sharing our stories and our experiences. Hi, Harms. Hi, Shell. How are you? I'm good. I feel like it's been a little wee while. Uh, I think it's been a couple of weeks since our last podcast. Hey, great news. Mm. Uh Without saying names because she might get cranky at us, we just had a massive great report about our client who has lymphedema in her belly. Oh, that's amazing. So she had a heart scan done and her heart levels or capacity has increased from 20% to 45%. That's amazing. Treatment. How amazing is that? Yes, I love that. And I remember this, um, like when I did the admission for this client and like they basically told her that, you know, she just needed to lose some weight. And we were the only ones that were like, no, 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 it's lymphedema. Like we can treat this, we can help minimize it. And I mean, it's been a couple of years now, but or about 18 months, maybe. About yeah, 18 but months. She's lost 35 kilos on top of that. Plus, her heart function is so That's much better. Amazing. How amazing is that? We love you, this person. Just saying. <laughs> I know she listens. I know she listens. So yeah. she's excited that we we discussed her amazing journey. I am pretty excited because we've got something happening today. Uh, we've got a chap named Daniel coming on board um, and going to interview us about, with regarding a documentary. Yeah, that's super exciting. When that email came through, um, I thought that was amazing. A, because obviously he is spreading the word of yes. lipedema and lymphedema. Uh, he's in the UK, isn't he? So yeah, he's on in the, the other UK. side of the world, um, which is amazing. But B, also just to know that there's... Um, you know, other people out there that are spreading the word like we are. Yeah, and see, he listening. actually listening. I was going to say, yeah, and listening to our podcast. That's amazing. It's good. It, it was a, a very much well factor. So he'll be joining us shortly. Um, but I just want to have a quick chat before he comes on. He is going to compare what our treatments are like compared to the UK. So that will be interesting how that happens thing is we'll have to pretty much interview each other because we don't know what the UK does compared to what we do. Yeah, I'm interested. I mean, I know just how different it is between us and... In America. Yeah, or I was going to say just us and other, not practitioners, but like lymphatic massage. Yes. You know, the manual drainage from us versus a manual drainage from like a remedial therapist is so different. Yeah. And then even um, I was talking to a practitioner who lives in Melbourne and um, the way that they do things is so different to us as well. And, you know, they've been trained through someone else. So it's kind of like Chinese whispers. It all starts out the same. And then obviously because each individual practitioner puts their own spin on things and kind of changes things up a little bit. Um, I like to think that we're pretty universal in regards to us and our team. I hope so. (laughs) um, But our clients have their favourites regardless. they do, exactly. And that's the thing. So, yeah, I'm really excited to actually see what knowledge and information he has to share, but also, yeah. yeah, how they do things over there. And if there's anything that we can take on Learn. board, that's yeah. for us and our clients as well. Yeah. So it'd be interesting how this pans out. So let's watch this space. Yes. So we've got Daniel here today from 
um, a university in England doing a bit of a documentary and a deep look and dive into lipedema and lymphedema. We're so excited to have you here, Daniel, and for us to be a part of your journey documenting this. This is amazing. To yes, please tell um, us, like share with us about how how did you get here and what are you planning to do? Um, so obviously I'm currently studying at the University of Sunderland down in England. I'm originally from Scotland myself. I came across the the condition after somebody reached out to me from a uh, pro- radio show that I'm producing at the minute, um, Spark in Sunderland. Um, basically, the, the woman that came to me told me about the fact that there's this condition that's very misdiagnosed in the UK, very... Um, you know, it's it's mistaken a lot for obesity by a lot of health professionals and something that needs to be spoken about. So, you know, she came to me, she was like, is there any chance of getting an interview with yourself um, just to, you know, get some awareness, try and catch at least one person um, and try and at least, you know, at least help somebody. So she told me from previous uh, experience that they'd only really heard of any issues um, being raised on the, in the media for about two three minutes um so i made the decision to make the the feature interview about 10 to 12 minutes just on lipedema yeah. um and you know hearing about it for the first time like i'm not going to sit here and say I've, i heard about the condition before because i had never um had been, been aware of the condition so uh, to hear about it from someone who had worked with so many people who has the condition it was it was quite hard and quite um i suppose quite mind-blowing that there's a condition with such lasting effects on people um that is just very you know misdiagnosed and, and unknown so can i just jump in daniel so what are you studying exactly so i'm currently studying my masters in radio audio and podcasting um so i've done that for three years up in scotland um yeah. completed my undergraduate last year and i'm currently in my postgraduate masters this year Wow, look at you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very stressful, very stressful. But at the end of it, um, you know, out in the big bad world, I'm not really too sure what's what's happening next. But at the minute, yeah, Matt, it's, it's full guns ahead for this project. Wow. So you were saying earlier that you have quite a few people on board for this documentary. Do you want to dive deeper in that for me? Yeah, of course. Um, so the reason that I've got such a, a vast amount of people, so we, we've got, people who have the condition because obviously it's important to get like a first-hand perspective of people um who are living with the condition to understand how it affects their life so i have three wonderful women called pi sarah and also emma jane now he i mean i've, I've talked to, to all three already and hearing their story and their you know the pain and the even just the mental uh, anguish that they go through on a daily basis is very difficult to hear. Um, like I, I suppose because uh, I've not done a documentary about a medical condition, I sort of I was a bit taken aback at points. Um, but I feel like it's important to have that in the documentary so that you know um, people can can get a first hand you know look at how how the condition actually affects people um and as well as that we i have a woman called emma thompson who i'd mentioned earlier who was a person who originally came to me who is a uh, by trade a massage therapist um who works with a lot of people with lipedema so she's given me a lot of information on how 
um, how MLD and other treatments can help people with the condition. As well as her, I've also got a woman called Lisa who works for uh, Talk Lipedema in the UK. So it's a charity um, you may have heard of who essentially are one of the, the forefront leaders in the, you know, raising awareness about the condition. So, you know, there's there's plenty different perspectives um, about the condition that I want to cover within the documentary. Amazing, amazing. So we it'll be interesting to see um, how we differ to the UK um, as we discussed prior. So yeah, go right ahead. Let's throw out the first question to us. We're ready, aren't we, Hans? Sure. Well, <laughs> the first one I want to know um, is just a basic one. So can you tell me both a bit about yourself, your um, professional backgrounds, and sort of how you got involved in this line of work around the condition? I'll throw <laughs> that to Michelle first. All right. So I'm the director of lymphatic care. Um, I am a registered nurse and I've been in the community services for quite a while. I started lymphatic care because working in the community, I noticed there was a lot of clients that we had that were suffering with lymphedema, not so much lipedema because we didn't know about lipedema until later, that we would sort out their compression garments and then we wouldn't do anything else for them. It was noted that they would just left and that has someone to go in and out to put um, stockings on and take stockings off throughout the days but that limited them for their quality of life um, and the fact that they had to stay home for that certain time to get their garments on and off um, and it really didn't help them at all so we noticed there was a, a niche in the market that um, we really needed to close that gap there wasn't a company at all that was a nursing service that would come in and, and look after their lymphedema lipedema and if there was any um anything nursing that needed to be dealt with there was no gaps we had doctors would help with their with diuretics and possibly wound care but they didn't know how to look after the lymphedema side of it we'd have allied health people come in and do the lymphedema side but just couldn't do any wounds or any nursing so this is where we found this market and where we're literally flourishing because we're the only people in australia that has a nursing community service so we're quite busy now, Harmony and I have been working before together, so I'll let Harmony take over from here. I'm Harmony. I am a community nurse as well. I've been nursing for, for about 12 years now. Um, and I worked with Shell at our old nursing community company. Shell was the uh, CNC and I was sort of the supporting, uh, I don't know, senior nurse. Like I'd been there the longest. Um, and... Cheryl came to me with this idea and I kind of eye-rolled it and was like, oh, yeah, okay, well, we'll see. Good luck. And then I went on maternity leave and as far as I knew when I left, everything was still the same and then about six, yeah, maybe six months, if that, mm -hmm. all of a sudden Cheryl had started this business and it was flourishing and then when I was due to come back off maternity leave, um, all my staff had gone <laughs> and Shell had left and I kind of didn't want to go back to my job because it was all new, you know, it was a whole new team. Um, and Shell and I had been talking anyway. Like I said, we've worked together for sort of three or four years prior. So Shell's a bit like family to me. And um, 
I checked in with her and she kind of gave me the update of how well lymphatic care was going and that she was looking for people. And so I decided to jump ship, not really knowing what I was doing. And then I fell in love with it. And then I decided to become a practitioner myself so that I could actually do all the, you know, the, um, all the deeper stuff other than just like the regular visits. So I became a practitioner and that's when I sort of really started to fall in love with understanding lipedema. Um, and I, I blew my mind because my stepmom is actually a stage three lipedema sufferer and she had no idea for years. So she's had like a gastric, um, gastric bypass and a gastric sleeve and she's lost all this weight, but she couldn't move it off her hips. And it, I remember going to one of our clients who is a stage four lipedema sufferer and she kind of drilled me and was like, what are the symptoms and signs of lipedema? And I was like, I don't know. I've got no idea. She's like, well, this is what it is and you need to learn it because this is how your clients are, you know, this is the difference between lipedema and lymphedema. And from then on, that was it. Like the fact that I was able to go to my stepmom and be like, I can diagnose you. I know what's wrong with you and you don't have to suffer anymore, you know, without knowing. Um, that just made all the difference to me. So now like I've been in lymphatic care for just over two years, but Shell and I, you know, we all run this together. And Mm. um, I love now like Dr. uh, One of our major surgeons here in Australia, he knows who we are and he kind of feels safe giving us his clients, um, which I love because we work really, really closely with him and the regime that he likes to follow. So we're able to give that, support and that guidance and that safety net to our clients that, you know, we know what we're doing and this is how we do things. And obviously being nurses is just a little bit, um, I don't want to say better than practitioners, but I do believe that there is, in order to provide a complete holistic approach, you you do need to have medical background. I don't think this is just something that we can kind of skim over, um, especially with the lymphedema. If they're suffering from lipolymphedema, there's just other background checks per se that you you know that we need to be doing as well but yeah so that's how I got here and that's where I am now and I yeah Shell and I just you know we just want to get the name out there and help as many people as we can because they are suffering and one of the most beautiful things that like I love is either a when we've got a lymphedema sufferer, getting them back into like regular garments and regular shoes is an amazing thing. But for the lipedema sufferers, sometimes where their first point of call, sometimes they have no idea um, what they're suffering from. They think they've got lymphedema and they're just, you know, clutching at straws. And then we go there and you can usually see almost immediately, um, especially now because we've been doing this for so long. You know, I can tell straight away that they're lymph- like their lipedema, not lymphedema before I've even walked through their front door. And that's something that I really, really love being able to hold their hand and go, actually, it's not lymphedema, it's something else. And while it's going to be a completely different journey, we can help you and we can help you navigate this whole process. So for me, like that's what I love about this and just being able to spread the word. Like just since we've been doing this show, you know, now um, lipedema, it's not covered by Medicare, but it's recognized by Medicare. We've got a cost code now, which is a huge step forward. And part of that is because of the work that we're doing, you know, like because we're nurses, we know that it's super important that we create a rapport with the GPs and any allied health that we work with uh, for the, for those clients. And so when we do our nursing reports, 
we send those to their allied health and to their GP saying, hey, this is what your client has. They're not just overweight or obese. They don't just need to cut out their cheeseburgers. This is actually a disease. And if you're not well-educated and informed in this, please reach out to us so that we can inform you. And that's probably one of the biggest changes I feel that we're creating in the community is like, we're not just leaving it with the client. We're actually taking on that responsibility to say, Hey, we're going to reach out to your doctor and let them know from another medical professional that it's not all in your head, that you don't just need to lose weight. And that this is actually a medical condition that requires assistance. Yeah. Uh, that that was huge. (laughs) One one thing that's fascinating is how quickly and, well-established you have managed to do in such a you know short space of time um it's very impressive one thing you'd, you'd mentioned there um was about medicare and obviously in the uk we have the the national health service now it has it has its ups and downs um but throughout this project i've sort of got a different perspective um from those with the condition now in australia um do, do you have a a public health service as well as privatized health and if so you know where does the the treatment for lipedema fall under yeah so are you right if i answer sure, yeah, sure. You- go so in uh in australia we've got the private health sector we've got public health sector and that's covered by medicare so medicare is the per the funding service i suppose that basically the doctors will, you know, they'll see you and then they will get a cost code and then they will bill Medicare for the um for the fees for whatever it is. So here in Australia, lipedema and lymphedema, and I say both because obviously most people who have lipedema are suffering from some stage of lymphedema as well. But um, lipedema up until I'm pretty sure it was only last year, it was not recognized by Medicare at all. So there was no cost code involved. There was no talk of um, any assistance for surgery or for rebate or anything like that. And now just recently they've implemented a cost code. Now that doesn't mean anything per se in relation to our clients' pockets, but what it does mean is that it's on the Medicare rate, which means that if enough clients Go and, and I always, uh, when we do an admission, I always tell our clients, look, you've got lipedema. The, the number one thing that I can recommend that you do is actually write a letter directly straight to your local member of parliament and say to them, hey, this is not covered by Medicare. So in relation to their surgeries and also um, unless over here in Australia, we've got NDIS and home care packages. So NDIS covers the disability and, and um, home care package covers the elderly over 65. Yeah. And So if they fall into either one of those categories, then they can absolutely use their funding to cover our services um, or cover part of, depending on what their funding levels are. But if you are, you know, like myself, a 30-year-old woman who is healthy minus having lipedema or even my stepmom, for example, she is a, um, she's still working. She's a, a teacher and it's completely out of pocket for her. So in her mind, she continues so to mm, PH, sort of PH private health. Yeah, that's the other thing. Um, is private health. But again, that even that in itself, I don't think they get any funding back for the operation. Uh, some some do, do. Um, some 
um, providers can claim on the community nursing. It depends on their funding. Oh, yeah, for us, but I mean for the yeah. actual surgery. So no. they can get some funding for our visits, for our MLD or our IPC therapy, but the actual surgery is approximately $15,000 per go, and that's not um, usually clients, at least here in Australia, the way that Dr. Lekic does it is, you will have a minimum of three surgeries, potentially four if you've got it in your arms, stomach or back as well. Um, and that's also not then including the um, the care required prior and the care required after surgery as well, aka stockings, diet, exercise and uh, lymphatic that's, that's crazy. I mean, over over here, what, what I've sort of learned is that at one point, um liposuction was covered under the nhs um which i mean fast forward to now um they say obviously the the cost of it people are having to go over to germany turkey for example um to get these um surgeries done because in the uk now it's seen as cosmetic yeah now yeah. I mean, I've, I've found that baffling since, since hearing that for the first time. I mean, when I think cosmetic liposuction, I think, you know, lip filler, um, jaw filler, you know, the, yes. the the general cosmetic ones as opposed to, you know, one that... Absolutely. Essentially and this will, is the... Yeah. It comes back to the the way that they're doing it. So um, we've had this same conversation with Dr. Lekic and the reason that they still see it as cosmetic is because the doctors who are doing it are still using cosmetic procedures. So they're just using standard liposuction and right. uh, obviously that comes under cosmetic, whereas the way that we do it here, um, or at least this particular surgeon, he does water-assisted liposuction. So it's still liposuction, but it's a much higher success rate of not return, like not having any lipedema returning. Um, but also that just comes, comes back to the system being uneducated and mm. misinformed. Because yeah. the reality is like these women, it, it is cosmetic. Yes, they're doing it so that they look better. But the reality is the benefits of this is that they feel better. The benefits is that, you know, they're not going to be um, relying on the taxpayer's money when they hit stage four. And this is, again, this is one of the reasons why I highly recommend, and I suppose even to the people in the UK, like writing a letter to your local member of parliament and expressing and explaining that this is not cheeseburger fat that's just, you know, hard to budge. This is fat that you're, it's a disease. You're literally born with it. And the moment you turn around and become pubescent or have a hormone dump, which is anytime you're pregnant, anytime you have uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis flare-up, or anytime that you hit menopause and you have those drives of hormones fluctuating in your body, you are going to turn around and have a lipedema increase. It's got nothing to do with what you eat. It's got nothing to do with how much you exercise. Um, it has everything to do with your genetics and the way that your body is utilizing those hormones and the stress factors that happen in your life as well are a contributing factor. So yeah, it's um, we still hear that a lot over here as well, that it's, you know, it's cosmetic. And that's what I meant before by it wasn't recognized by Medicare because they were seeing it as the same way. And now we're in this, we're just in the starting phases where if every doctor puts, you know, whenever a client, uh, a patient goes to the GP and says, hey, my lipedema is really sore, that doctor legally has to put that Medicare cost code on the billing form that they send into Medicare. And then therefore Medicare will then go, hey, hold on. This week alone, we've had 500 doctors use that lipedema cost code. 
there's something going on here. That's not just a, an invisible disease. There's actually 500 women this week alone that have gone to their doctor complaining about an issue related to lipedema. We need to look into that. And before long, I think it's a three or four year period that Medicare followed. Like, you know, this is essentially, it's just investigation stages at the moment. But if enough women go to their GP and enough uh, allied health put those cost care codes in, then Medicare eventually have no option but to then put it down as a necessary treatment that is payable by Medicare. So, you know, ideally in in the state of the world, this will become something that is um, a, a regular and understood disease. You know, I say this lightly, but... You know, you want it to be in the same understanding as diabetes. People know now that diabetes is is not just because you've eaten too many cheeseburgers or had too much Coke. It's an actual disease, especially if it's type 1. Um, but now, like, those things are covered by Medicare. People aren't having to pay out of pocket. They're not having to turn around and decide, do I pay my bills or do I get the things that are going to keep me healthy and keep me going? It's now covered. And ideally, that's where we see lipedema as well, is that these surgeries are covered because from a nursing perspective, we've seen worst case scenario. We've got a client on the books who is stage four, requires 24-hour two-person support um, because she's stage four. Because she can't have the surgery, she now requires complete funding by NDIS, which then ends up being the taxpayer's money so that she can just have basic human rights. Mm-hmm. And that's where all of our lipedema clients are going to end up if they don't have surgery. You know, and the hard thing is, is most of them come back and go, well, I can't afford it because, you know, they're either living off retirement or they're on a pension. And it's like, that's not fair. It's not fair that you've got to live with this disease that is only there because you were born with it, mm. no fault of your own. And now the only way to get rid of it is to try and find a way to fund $60,000 worth of debt. You know, like that just, it blows my mind because it's, it's yeah. so- um, it's such an intense disease to have to deal with. I mean, I think one woman that I spoke to told me the story about how the fact, or sort of say a story, more just um, her life, the fact that she's de- she's having to, you know, weigh up remortgaging the house or even just selling the house in order to get, I think she says she's got to get about £30,000 worth of, worth of treatments. And it is, it is very sad because obviously when you add the physical pain daily the mental pain daily and then this the amount of stress i mean i couldn't imagine the amount of stress that that would that would put someone under having that sort of amount they need to to acquire um so i mean obviously it's um it's a condition that as i said um you know a lot of gps are you know what i found that younger gps in the uk seem to be more aware of the condition from what what i've heard from people as opposed to the um the older generation of GPs, is there any, um, you know, companies alongside yourself that is trying to raise awareness to these medical practitioners in Australia to you know, about the condition? Yeah. So again, Dr. Lekich, he is a massive advocate. Um, he's actually one of the ones, you know, like he, he's the main doctor that we see a lot of our clients go to him for, um, care and surgery, mainly because he is one of the only doctors that is um, accredited to do this water-assisted liposuction and microsurgery. He was trained from the main guy in Germany, um, which 
uh, I would assume is probably where a lot of the people that you've spoken to are contemplating going to because there's a guy in Germany, him and his wife have this like retreat and they they basically do all the surgeries and all the aftercare while you stay there for the eight to 12 weeks. And it actually, um, I've we've had a couple of clients who um, have gone over there instead because it is cheaper. It's actually cheaper for them to fly over to Germany, have um, all of the surgeries and the 24-hour care and the MLDs and everything involved and it's all tied up in a pretty little bow in a nice little package and it's cheaper over there than it is to be over here, which is quite sad. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Dr. Lekic is great. He's had um, a couple of that we're aware of anyway. He's had a couple of meetings with local members of parliament. Um, he's very big on the bandwagon of getting the story out there that this is not just, you know, a regular fat. This is a disease. So there's a couple of associations that I'm aware of here in, uh, in Queensland and they are Australia-wide. Here we've got a couple of associations for lymphedema and lipedema um, and that's where you can go, anyone can go and become a practitioner um, to learn how to uh, like how to deal with anyone for lymphedema and lipedema. And they, obviously we do regular seminars and conferences. Um, a lot of the time, the ones that we've been to anyway, those are mainly aimed at practitioners who have done their training um, and then obviously just updating their education and their knowledge. And they will occasionally have some sufferers that come and sort of speak and share their story. And then I know that there is one seminar a year at least that I'm aware of, that is like a um, a lipedema sufferer conference thing, you know, where um, if you've got lipedema or you've had lipedema in the past, like come share your story, network, um, and just give other people some support and um, hopefully give them a glimmer of hope that, you know, things can get better. Absolutely. Um, and Michelle, how, how prevalent would you say lipedema is in Australia as a whole? If you're comparing lipedema to lymphedema, it's um, two different types of fish that we're dealing with. It's not that common. It's not that known, well known. And we've had a um, a couple of documentaries in the, the media regarding lipedema and surgeons and what that life looks like. And, and that opened a lot of doors for people to ask the questions. So they're actually going to their doctor and saying, hey, I think I have this, um, which education is power. So they're, when people are able to learn something about themselves that they didn't know for their whole life that this that is an issue, they, they just didn't like themselves, um, and then this door opens, then they can go and investigate and research some more. But as Harmony said, you know, they go to their doctors and not, all the doctors are on board. Majority of the doctors will say, you know, you're just fat, you need to eat less and do some exercise. And as we know, if you've got lipedema, that's just not going to work. As Harmony said about her stepmother, she had all that surgery and she didn't lose it from her hips and her legs because it's not something that you can do. So I don't, I think more education needs to be done, as Harmony said prior. Um, I, I find it really disappointing that not a lot of people know about it. And I say that as a nurse as well because I didn't know about lipedema, a lot about lipedema until I did the course, until I became a practitioner. That opened our eyes. So as I said, you know, I went into this looking at lymphedema. That was my world. It was going to be lymphedema, hence why it was lymphatic care. 
lipedema was just a whole different kettle of fish. It's just two different things. It it's yeah, it's it's a learning curve for all of us, and we're still learning. And we just even today, Harmony and I learned something new just today about it. And I think it's it's something that it needs to be taught in the education system, like in universities and things like that, which it's not. And that's the sad thing. When I, Harmony and I both can say that when we did our courses, our nursing, it, lymphedema and the lymphatic system to get a look in, didn't get a look in. They we didn't yeah, it was know like a anything. Second intro. It all we knew was that the lymphatic system gets rid of toxins from your body, and that's it. And that's how. All how our medical degree is on just about that. So when we're coming in from the community and looking at starting a business around the lymphatic system, we had to learn pretty quick what it was all about because we didn't know. And if we don't know a lot and we're nurses, the doctors are not going to know a lot. So this is where, as Harmony said, we we are then educating and the doctors and our allied health workers because they don't know what it is either because they skim over it through education. So we not only have to re-educate ourselves, with that information we can start educating other health professionals. And I think that all is going to take time and hopefully in time we will have a better system. I hope that answers your question. (laughs) And I I think it's something that the people, I suppose, who are maybe not in the medical uh, field might not understand because obviously there, there's a, a lot of things you've got to learn as a health professional there's there's so many conditions that you're never going to be able to learn absolutely everything about every single one but one thing that you touched upon there as I'd spoken to a woman called um Dr Anne Williams who um is a nurse back nurse by background but was also a lecturer at, at universities up in Scotland and she was telling me that um during some of her sort of dissertation pieces, uh, she got her students to go through researches about the condition. Um, and she made a good point about that's how early people should be learning. Like obviously GPs, if they don't know about it now, you know, they've there there should there there's a few places in the UK, so a few companies that are sending stuff out to the the health bases, um, like information packs for GPs to, you know learn more about the condition um but obviously getting it as early as as possible to these nurses and doctors would be would be key to maintaining that in the future you know gps it it really should be um it should be something that everybody knows like obviously because the condition starts showing symptoms from um pubescent so as soon as the girls are hitting their puberty age so it really should be um you know, if you're able to prescribe contraception, you should be under understanding and aware of this disease. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, like for here in Australia, obviously we've just recently got a cost code. So Medicare, like that should be a um, something that they issue out, you know, like, hey, there's this new cost code available for lipedema. If you don't know what it is, here's some facts about it so that you can assist your patients in diagnosis or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's it blows my mind the amount of doctors that have no idea mm. because, you know, they're sitting there and this is what happens with a lot of our clients. Their, their doctor tells them, oh, you've got a bit of fluid and it's not fat 
Um, it, you know, like it's not, it's not anything. It's just that you're eating too much and you're not doing enough. So then, you know, our clients starve themselves and then they find out about us from one way or another. They think they've got lymphedema and they just need to lose a bit of weight. And then it's not until we go there and we're like, no, nah, that's not the case at all. And, you know, you see the relief on their face of like, we got a I diagnosis. have been starving myself for yeah. years. Yeah. You know, or I've, I've had gastric bypass surgery so that I physically have altered my body. Now I've changed it to the point that I can only have micro meals and it's all been for nothing. Mm. I've, you know, um, or not for nothing, but unnecessary. It's an unnecessary find- procedure. Had they been told, yeah. Hey. I mean, having bypass, oh, surgical like- bypass is quite expensive as well. You're looking at like $30,000 just to do that mm. gastric bypass. I mean, that's not a cheap venture. And a lot of people use their super or they're relying on other forms of funding to help that. And that's a private factor and the private health. So if they go public, there's like a three year or more waiting period just to have that type of surgery. So that's another kettle of fish there just the gastric bypass yeah and you mentioned obviously the waiting list for a year so i mean obviously this the whole the whole condition is new to me so how quickly how quickly can it develop between the stages from going you know if, if you've got a three four year wait how how bad can it get from one point to another or does it depend on each person it's dependent on the person we have um uh, there's been a really, just in the last 12 months, we've noticed that there's been a lot of people who have woken up with lipedema, it kind of seems. Um, we're not entirely sure why, but, uh, yeah, that's an interesting uh, direction on its own. Um, but essentially everyone is different. And what it comes down to from my understanding of having chats with uh, Dr. Lekic and other clients is, it comes down to two contributing factors. One is what are you doing diet-wise? So if you are eating a lot of uh, processed foods, starches and carbs, that will accelerate the growth because you're putting stress and strain on the body cells, but also um, your hormones. So it's obviously you're born with it, but it comes down to how your body distributes the hormones and how it works through those hormones at those important stages of life. So when the girls first get their, their um, period or they hit that prepubescent stage, they'll have a hormone dump. And that's usually when you start to see stage one develop. So they'll they'll have cankles or they'll start to get like really thick set legs. And sometimes that's, that's all that will happen. You'll have stage one um, for years until, and they might not hit stage two until they either have a baby or they go through menopause. Some women don't see stage one until they've had a baby because for whatever reason, their body missed the mark um, when they started to get those uh, prepubescent hormones happening. They might not have had anything or they didn't notice it enough, you know, because they might have only had cankles. But if their mums had cankles all their life as well, then people just put that down to that's just a, a you know, a body trait that I inherited. Um, and so it comes, it really does come down to knowledge um, in relation to growing from like stage two. Um, as from what I've seen and at least in the community is that if you've got stage one, uh, late stage one, early stage two, it's, it's a lot slower to develop versus if you, you know, already at late stage two to early stage three, it's quite, um, it happens a lot faster to get from like late stage two to late stage three. 
Right. And I would okay. say that's obviously because there's there's just more lipedema there that can grow more lipedema. And it really depends yeah. on their um their health and their lifestyle as well. I yeah, mean, exactly. If, if they're not looking after themselves and they don't have the right people around them to educate them, obviously going from stage two to stage four, it's going to happen quite quickly. And there's, as Harmony says, there's a lot of factors that go into that. And, you know, knowledge is power. And I keep saying that, which is so true. And they've got to ask the questions. And if they don't, they don't know the questions because they don't know anything about it. So that's the unfortunate bit. Yeah. Um, One, one of obviously the thing that we've not really spoken about is kind of the elephant in the room, obviously. We're on the the Naked Truth podcast. Yes. Um, now, why did you both feel like this is a sort of medium that would be helpful for the condition, for people knowing about the condition but also having the condition? We started this because there's a lack of education out there. Yeah. And I'm 54, so I'll, I'm not in the mainstream at all. I mean, I'm, I think I'm doing pretty good for my age and not knocking anyone who's 54, but tech savvy is not my thing. And Harmony is only young. So with both of us, with both our knowledge on technology and the social media, we wanted to get the word out out there and ha- start a conversation so people can learn, hear our stories and just enjoy the chat because we do we cover we cover a lot, but we also cover about our lives and what we do and about our clients at times, and not oh, just getting the word out there and having the feedback that people are listening, um, and they're not so much asking questions, but the fact that that's a next another person listening to our podcast means they are getting educated on what we know and that's yeah. what we wanted to do. Yeah. And how many have you heard any specific feedback from people that sort of pushed you to, you know, create further content? Um, yeah. So I suppose a lot of our feedback comes from the clients. Um, I actually have my own business on the side of lymphatic care. So um, for me, like my my personal clients from my own business will listen into it as well because they're quite interested Um and, you know, I share quite a bit on my own personal page about lipedema, A, because I work for a company that does it, but also B, because I feel like, especially me being a mom, like I'm a 32-year-old mom, I've got five kids and my whole, I homeschool as well. So I'm like, I have a huge network available to me and that's where I sort of do a lot of my uh, information drops, you know, especially if I see someone in the shops I won't tend to go up to every single person, but if they've got young daughters, it's my role. Like that's that's my mission is to say, hey, I'm aware of this disease and it's actually affecting you. I can see that you've, you're exhibiting XYZ symptoms just so you're aware it's genetic, which means that the faster you can get on board with your kids wearing compression garments and being aware of it, um, the better. You know, for me, it's being on the podcast and, and like doing the podcast is great because A, when we first started, we couldn't really see any information out there on the podcast um, medium. So f- that's a huge tick for us. It's like, sweet, there's a niche there that no one's sort of really paying attention to. Um, but B, this is where the world's going now. You mm. know, like for me, especially like we're, we're working on the road. I don't listen to the radio. The radio is dead to me. It, it's I, a podcast. That's, that's all I do is audible and podcasts because I am a knowledge person. I just want to know more information about everything. 
Um, and so for me, it, it didn't really, um, it was a no brainer to get on and do podcasts because it's something that everyone all over the world can listen to. It's super easy to find, you know, someone who gets diagnosed with lipedema, at least from my age bracket, they're going to go straight onto Facebook and look at, and look for groups for support. They're going yeah. to go onto Audible and see if there's any books that have been written. And they're going to go straight onto podcasts to see if there's anything that they can gain so that they can A, equip themselves with more knowledge and information, but also B, just to have support to know that they're not alone. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that's one thing I've noticed since joining the, well, joining one of the groups on Facebook. I did have a bit of trouble joining one, but I've since realized that, you know, a male coming to one of these groups, um, you know, it, it's not something that males don't normally research about this product, from, uh, this this condition, sorry, from what I've found. Um, but I have seen that, the, you know, these Facebook groups, as well as, you know, just generally, you know, speaking through, I've got these symptoms, um, what does it mean, what what can I do, etc. But the amount of self well, not self-diagnosis, but like peer diagnosing that's, mm-hmm. that's happening, um, you know, for some of these women, it'll be life-changing just you know having something that okay this is what i've got as opposed to going to the gps constantly being told starve yourself etc which is a few people have told me about that um so so i mean how is it it the same in australia as there groups on facebook that you know like community wise for lipedema patients yeah so there's a couple one of the bigger ones one of like the most known ones is called the lippy ladies and it's a group of women um that you know, it, that's where they go. Like as soon as most of the clients um, that I've spoken to in the past, they found out about them having lipedema either because a friend or a family member had seen Dr. Lekic uh, in person or they'd seen something on one of the news um uh, there was a documentary a while ago and so uh, they'd seen it on there um, and that's how they sort of diagnose themselves but a lot of the time they go into these groups they ask the questions and then yeah it's it's the peers that are like yep that's you know these are my signs these are my symptoms these are my pictures like your legs look exactly like mine and obviously lipedema can form in so many different ways you know you can have a girl who's a size uh, size eight and her legs are still a size eight, but you can see the characteristic traits of lipedema versus someone who is a size 26 in the, in the legs, but only a size 16 in the waist. Um, so, you know, and they've got more of like a triangle shape um, and their lipedema is all in their hips. So the characteristics are quite, gr- I don't want to say groups, you know, like it's not that there's not a massive umbrella. Like for example, those of us who are neurodivergent, the, the, the umbrella for that is massive, right? Like everyone can fall into some sort of category there. Whereas with lipedema, it's it's quite structured. You either, the main things that you're looking for is obviously that you've got heaviness in the legs, uh, painful parts in the legs, um, you know, uh, tree trunk shaped mm. or column shaped legs, um, or you've got um, misproportioned uh, legs to hip, uh, sorry, legs to waist ratio. So really it's quite easy to diagnose once you see it, you know, like once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's one of those things where now, like even my husband and my kids are able to diagnose people that they see in the shops just from the characteristics, you know? And so I think having those peer groups is so great because it allows women to feel really, really encouraged and empowered when they go to the GP to say, this is what I have. I've done the work. 
no, it's not Dr. Google. It's actually, you know, I, I can, and, and all the time, like they, the women can sit there and say, I've had these symptoms all my life. I can't even remember when I had normal legs, you know, or when my legs felt normal and they weren't heavy and they, you know, didn't feel like they were carrying around 10 bags of cement. So having, no, having that courage and that confidence backing them because of other women that are experiencing it, I think is one of the beautiful things about Facebook. Um, and these groups are so great because it's not uh, the typical cattiness from female, you know, um, that, that you tend to see. These ones are really, really uplifting. They're really empowering. They're really supportive. And the women in there, all they want to do is help guide other women because they know what it's like to feel like crap. They know what it's like to be on that end where there is no diagnosis. You have no hope. You feel like you're not, you know, that you're suffering, but it's all invisible and it's all in your head. And so they come into these groups and all these women are like, yeah, I've been there. I know what that's like, but here's the other end where actually we've had our surgeries. You know, some of them are two, three, four years post-surgical and they're living the life of their dreams that they never, ever thought would have been possible because they thought that they were just eating too many cheeseburgers. And I use cheeseburgers as my reference because that's my, the bad food that I tend to eat a lot. (laughs) So this yeah, is the, no. so they it, it Dr. Leckage states that one in seven women is actually diagnosed with lipedema, which is quite a high number when you think about it. But then saying that, it's not just women that has lipedema. We have men on our books that also have lipedema, whether they have a trauma, past trauma that cause lipedema, lymphedema. So just sort of put it out there, it's not just the women. We do have um guys that suffer with lipedema as well. That was that was something that I did wonder. Now, obviously, I'd seen a few people, a few male pictures on on the Facebook group. Now, obviously, one in, if you're saying one in seven women, what is the if there is a percentage? I mean, it must be quite low of men that have the condition, and it does even it affect in the same way. Well, even yeah, lower. the last I heard, it was like one in thirty. Yeah, um, right. Okay, not higher. You know, like um, and the contributing factor for that is low testosterone. So men who have uh, low testosterone or who struggle to keep their testosterone at a healthy level, they are usually the ones that will develop lipedema at some stage. But obviously, yeah, originally like when, or not originally, but when we first started uh, knowing about Dr. Lekic and his mission of, um, you know, spreading the word about lipedema, which was only two years ago, it was one in 13. Then it dropped to one in 11 and now it's one in seven because- Obviously, more women are standing up saying, yes, that's me. Yes, that's me. Yes, that's me. So really, you could probably have that again yeah. um, and say it's probably more like one in three, one in four. It's just that obviously they're not aware of it. There's still so many women out there that have no idea. Touching on that, you mentioned obviously about approaching somebody in public. Now, this has been a question that I've not asked to everyone, but they've sort of you know put on them, said themselves. They don't know if it's... So especially for someone who has the condition, if it's their responsibility to go and say to somebody in public about having, like, like, like it, it looks like you possibly might have this condition, or even like say, like, like contact this, um, you know, social media page or etc. I mean, do you feel like that would be beneficial if that was to be a sort of societal thing over here to sort of like, not in a nasty way, say? Like this is what you may have, but you know, as a as a helpful gesture sort of thing. Yeah. So I, for me personally, like I've asked our clients, um, you know, what would you prefer? Would you prefer to not know about it, or would you prefer someone to say something? And I always get mixed reviews from the elderly. They're always like, "Oh no, that's horrible. I wouldn't want anyone to come up to me." But the younger ones, especially those who have been suffering, 
they're the ones that are like, I absolutely would have loved someone to come back to me four years ago because four years ago, I wouldn't have had kids and I could have done the surgery and it wouldn't have been such a challenge because I wouldn't have had all these financial constraints, you know, or um, just to have the support. Like it's one thing as, and I don't suffer from lipedema. So obviously me coming in and like talking to people publicly, I don't do it all the time. Like I said, it's not like I stop every single person because I, I literally would have no free time. The amount of people that I can see in my uh, local areas is astronomical. Um, but I do, I do make it my mission to stop the ones who have children. And if they've got daughters, I do not let myself walk away from them. Um, but there's obviously a way to do it tactfully, you know. So for me, like I just, I also give them the support and let them know, like I am a registered nurse and I am a lymphatic practitioner. So I am qualified in uh, lipedema, lymphedema. And, you know, I just say to them, like, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but you do exhibit some physical symptoms of suffering from this disease. I recommend that you have a look on Facebook for um, a company called Lipedema Surgical Solutions. The doctor there is amazing and it's all about um, lipedema and how to deal with that. And then I just, I usually actually just give them one of our business cards and just say, if you have any further questions, please feel free to contact me or Michelle um, because we work very closely with this doctor and we know the, um, you know, the structure, the routine, the regime. We know the ins and outs um, about like how to care for and how to how to manage it. And then obviously, should you decide to go down the route, um, then this is where you need to speak to Dr. Lekich. But and I find I think- that even our, when we walk in the public in our uniforms, we always get stopped or someone always asks a question because we've got our uniforms on. I think it feels like we're walking down the street with a red flag, really. Yeah. But- it that's where we're at in our social life is that if we walk if we walk somewhere they know they need to ask the question we don't I don't normally go out and I'm not as brave as what harmony is and have a conversation with someone out in public but if they come to me if I'm in uniform I'm quite happy to sit down and have a conversation with them about it I'm not as brave as harmony though just saying No, that's fine. Um, I was just curious. Obviously, it had been brought to my attention from a few people. So I wondered if that would be something that could be yeah, sort Dr. of... Yeah, Dr. Leckage actually has these little cards that you can um, not purchase, like order from him. And it literally just says something along the lines of, hi, someone that's seen you or someone that knows you thinks you may have this. And then like their website, check this out for more information. And sometimes that's, that's a good. really, like it's a really discreet way because yeah. you literally don't have to say anything. You literally can just go up to someone and say, hi, take this. Yeah. You don't even need to say, hi, my name is. Like, it's literally just a, <laughs> here, take this, too bad, so sad, you do what you want with it. You know, and the reality <laughs> is, like, for those who are suffering, there's only, there's two ways, right? At least this is how I look at it. They either know about it and they're going to have a great conversation with you because finally someone else randomly ha- has the same condition or knows about it, and that is validating in its own or they had no idea and they may at first be offended but if you're right you've just changed the game for them because mm. now the power is in their in their hands they're no longer having to search for answers they've got the answers it's their choice whether or not they choose to go through the management and the um, surgery that's absolutely their choice 
but at least the power is in their hands. They get to make that decision now. It's not just a case of them having to find a doctor that's going to listen. Now it's a choice of, well, now I'm actually, I'm aware and I'm equipped with the knowledge of what I'm suffering from. Now I also have the empowerment that, hey, it's not just what I'm shoving in my face and I don't need to starve myself any longer or work out six hours a day at the gym. It's now actually a case of this is a disease. This is what I can do about it. And even if it takes me, you know, it, like if this, if this was me, I, we hear it a lot of, I can't afford the surgery, but I can afford holidays and I can afford to buy a brand new car and everything. It's a level of priority, right? I understand that. Some people don't think that it's a priority because it's not impacting them enough. But once you get to stage, late stage two, early stage three, it's impacting you almost at every opportunity it has because now you are, you know, the fat on your hips is growing faster than you can recognize. You are now in pain most of the time. So now you can't exercise or, you know, you need to get your clothes altered or you're just noticing that your legs are really, really, really heavy by the end of the day. And the things that you used to do now you can't do or you struggle to do. So there will be a time, and this is what I explain to all of our clients, you can manage it, but there's going to be a day where you're not going to have a choice. You're going to have to have the surgery or you're going to have to just be okay with the level of suffering that you have because there's, there's just no way around it. And so the faster we can get onto that, if we can start sharing that knowledge and that information to people who have no idea, that then gives them the power to make that decision at an earlier rate so that they can go, okay, well, I'm only stage one right now, but I'll wait till I'm stage two and I'll get the surgery then. It gives me time to save up or whatever it might be. But for me, it's a case of, of feeling empowered. It's your choice what you get to do with that. But if you don't have that knowledge and that understanding, then you're out of power because you've got no idea. Yeah, I think that's a very, very, very important point because um, knowledge is the is the key to this, I think. Because yeah. if, 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 if you don't know, then you're never going to find out. And if you're constantly being told by GPs that you're this and you're that, which has got nothing to do with how you actually are, um, then then it's not going to help. I want to pose last questions, but I'll pose it to each is Michelle first. Now, what do you see? Um, so say like in ten years' time, do you feel like we'll have progressed in terms of um knowledge and understanding within society, medical, and do you feel like there's any potential for finding a cure at all? Oh, what a tricky question. Um, I'm hoping in 10 years it's going to be like Harmony says, like diabetes, that it's going to be so renowned and people will know about it and there's going to be more healthcare around lipedema. Um, that would be amazing. Uh, that would be that would be amazing. Um, how they will do it, I don't know. Um, where I see it, when do I see it, I, I don't know. I wish I could... But saying that we've come along a long way over the three years, haven't we, Harm? So from mm. the time we started to where we are now, we find that we're only a small fish in a big pond and just our presence is making an impact on a lot of doctors and a lot of clients and a lot of a lot of people. So if we can do this in three years, I don't know what it looks like in 10 years. I just hope it's going to be a lot bigger, a lot better and a lot more knowledge out there. Yeah, I agree. Uh. I think here in Australia particularly, I know that we are, they're currently working on a tablet to stop the lipedema, but you have to be stage one. So if you are um, 
late, yes, I think it's early stage two is the cutoff. And that's where the difficulty lies because most people, unless it's, you know, like unless I go, oh, my mum has lipedema, I might have it. I should look into that. I'm not going to go to the GP and be like, I've got stage one lipedema. I can tell because I've got cankles. You know, most women who have got cankles are just, they ignore it. They mm. just think that it's fluid. They think that it's, that their socks are too tight or they've, you know, they've been running for too long or whatever it might be. So I know that there is a game changer pill, um, but it's not approved yet. It's obviously still in trial stages. So I would like to see that come about within 10 years. Um, and also I would like it to be covered by Medicare because oh, yeah. for me, as it's, it's, for me, it's a, it's a no brainer. Like it's, it's not even about them suffering. It's about the taxpayer. <laughs> yeah. Like when you look at what yeah. a taxpayer has to pay to keep that person supported and providing 24 hour support when they're in a 12, you know, when they're in stage four, if, if you've got one in seven that's suffering from lipedema, you can almost guarantee that by the time they're in their 60s, they're going to be stage four. So that means that one in seven women are going to require 24-hour support. And that's not even including any other comorbidities that they might have or any other disabilities that might come about. That's just lipedema. So if we're looking at one in seven women, that means every one in seven women is going to require complete NDIS coverage, complete taxpayer support, or we just fund the surgery. And if we're funding the surgery from the beginning, AKA we're giving them knowledge and education so that they are being diagnosed at early stage one, late stage, uh, early, sorry, late stage one, early stage two, then that means that we're actually, it's, it's going to be even cheaper because mm. they're not going to require four surgeries. They might only require two. And then therefore it's less money. And therefore it's less money on the taxpayer because the taxpayer is the one that funds the Medicare as well. So either way, it's a win-win. It's a win-win for everyone if we just get the knowledge out there and we get it approved by Medicare because then the women are having the surgery at a much earlier date. They aren't suffering for as long and they're then gaining their mobility, their independence, their confidence, their knowledge and their support at a much earlier date. So in an ideal situation, I would really hope that we're not even needing to have this discussion in 10 years' time. I, unfortunately, I still think we will. It's like diabetes. It's still Oh, it's still going to be something that needs to be educated yeah. on for sure. But I, I'd i be really, really sad if we're still having to have this push and yeah. argument as yeah. if when I go to a client and we diagnose them and we say, we're really, really sorry, you've actually got lipedema and it's not going anywhere. It's actually just going to get worse. I would love for the conversation to be, but we can write you a referral form because we're a practitioner and now you can go on the wait list and it might yeah. take three or four years to have the surgery. It might, but here's the way to manage it. Hopefully by then we will be funded as well because without people like us, um, the healing process doesn't happen. Like Dr. Lekic is amazing. He removes the, the um, lipedema, but his team don't do the aftercare. It's people like us that go in and do twice a week MLD sessions and it's people like us that provide the support and the emotional connection to keep them on track so that they, because uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, Daniel, but like after they have surgery, they, they're they required to wear um, extreme like high compressive tights 24 hours a day for the first few How weeks. How long? Anywhere between three and four weeks is ideal. And that means like they have to shower in these garments and then take the wet ones off and put dry ones on. Like there's no gap the only gap that they're allowed to have is the one hour massage that's it wow it's not just providing physical support that we do like we go in there sometimes and these women are like i really don't want to wear these tights they're so uncomfortable and it's like mate 
you've got no choice. We're, we're already, the hardest part's done. You've had the surgery. Now this yeah. is more mental game. You know, you've done the physical hard. Now we're doing the mental hard of just getting you into your tights, getting you to stick to your diet, getting you to stick to your, your um, exercise regime. And obviously sticking to the commitment of financially paying to have someone come in and do a massage. Just very quickly, do you know if there's, because I've, I've what the Dr. Wilf down in London, he has a specific medical mental health form that he has patients fill out prior to getting the, the procedures done just to make sure that, you know, they're 100% in their headspace for, yep. um, you know, doing the procedure. Do you know if there's a similar one that um, um over in Australia at all? I'm not entirely sure specifically, but I like I know that um the conferences that we've been to and the um like speeches and stuff that we've seen from Dr. Lekic, he pays very thorough attention to their mental health. But I know that we we personally do like a mental health screening on um, our admissions, especially if we feel like there's a need there. So when they've got lipedema, we'll bring in that mental health scale just to check on them. Um, but that's a great question and that's something that I actually would really like to personally find out just because obviously majority of uh, the detriment caused from lipedema isn't actually physical until late stages, but in early stages it's all mental. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. from stage one. I mean, it starts young and they're yeah. starting to affect their mental health from puberty. And, I mean, that's a long time. You're holding that issue and your concerns for such a long time until you get diagnosed and then all the other things that come with it so mental health is yeah. huge here when it comes to lipedema yeah that's that's good yeah um so that's all the questions i have um is there any questions you've got for myself <laughs> i don't know how to end it <laughs> <laughs> okay i will ask you this can you talk us through what the health system is like in the uk i mean for us we talked about medicare and our private health and our um, other funding like your NDIS and home care package. Do you have something like that in the UK? In terms of the NHS, so I mean, if you were to ask anybody about the NHS at the minute, the first thing I think they would tell you would be that it's um, overworked, under addressed, and you know, I mean, waiting times just generally for for GPs. You're you're talking at some points maybe three or four weeks now for for certain issues, and obviously. I suppose it's it's sort of coming off the backlog of COVID, etc. I know people like certain uh, departments are just getting back to normal, but in terms of you know NHS, we pay our um, council tax, we pay our national insurance, um, and that essentially you know that will go away um, to the government so that you know NHS is available to to anybody anytime, which you know in comparison to say for example america where you have to privately pay for your your medical stuff i think it's a good idea but then obviously because we're not paying directly when we're needing the help generally i feel that it's maybe not as readily available as if it was private so you know there's pros and cons um but generally, I mean, my, my personal experience, I'm quite lucky not having had that many um, medical issues. But from my, my personal experience, I've I've had quite a good experience with the NHS. I would say. Mm, so I think that as as you said, we I think we're lucky as well having our Medicare compared to America. We've actually um, interviewed a couple of ladies from America, and. It's just shocking their their lifestyle and what they've got to do. They've got to triage their 
their health to see if they're um, able, well, if they could afford to go to hospital to see a doctor. And, I mean, that's wow. it, That's pretty intense that, you know, I, I may have cellulitis and like an infection in my leg, but I'm not going to go to the doctor because I can still able to walk. You know, that's that's what they're weighing up, which is quite scary that this is how far they got to go. This is how how they triage their life. I mean, that's really, really sad. Where we're lucky if we've got an infection, we just go to the doctor and we can just get antibiotics straight away. And that's quite quick and easy. And I'm presuming in the UK is pretty similar. But it, yeah. it's a different kettle of fish when you're looking from another perspective. Yeah, and I think one thing I've noticed, so in comparison between Scotland and England, because even they're different, um, I mean, growing up in Scotland till I was 21, um, any sort of antibiotics, paracetamol, any medical um, you know, pills, etc., from GPs were always free. Now, Oh, wow. Only, only since moving to England, um, and me and my partner went for uh, another thing la- a couple of weeks ago, and I, I mean, I suppose it's a privilege for me coming from Scotland, where most things are free, um, yeah. including like the education as well. Like England, you pay for <gasps> education too. I know it's great, um, but obviously I'm studying in England now, so it's not as uh, I can't I can't benefit from that. But my my shock. I suppose it comes from somewhat of privilege. Um, when they said, "Okay, that'll be um, that'll be eleven pound fifty for that set of pills or whatever," and I suppose internally I was a bit shocked, but then yeah. I realised, like you know, there's there's certain countries that even like a a GP uh, viewing just just going to the GP generally would set you back however much. So I suppose quite lucky in a way, but you know, Scotland Scotland's quite good for that. Um, and I mean the the charity that was I was talking about earlier on, Tot Lipidema, they are based up in Scotland and are, are doing great things working with communities um all around the sort of Glasgow area to, you know, raise awareness and stuff. So it's good. So do you know if there's any associations that you're aware of in the UK to help clients in general? Um, there so the the last day that I, well the woman I spoke to, Anne Williams, she has a company called esk lymphology so she has her own so it's basically near the river esk which is i think it's sort of about in the glasgow ayrshire area so she does you know mld treatments sort of thing as well as the original person emma thompson who has her own company um in terms of associations personally from from starting this this project i'm not aware of of many it's mainly just charities um which i suppose is quite sad i mean we do have a few lymphatic centers um dotted around around the uk um mainly in england but as for a a specific lipedema association I, I wouldn't say that that i am aware of any that i've done for my, my research and um you know further for this project oh wow but having people dotted around the UK is amazing. I think that's more um, education and well-known in UK than it is here. I mean, we don't have a lot of clinics or a lot of people doing services for lymphedema or lipedema in, even in Brisbane or in Queensland. Hey, Hams. Yeah, no, there's really nothing. No, it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. Yeah. 
just like what has the feedback been so far from the people that you've interviewed? What what would they like to see? Um, I did put a uh, um. So obviously, when I first started trying to reach out to people to get in contact to obviously have interviewees, I put a post just simply saying, um, look, proposing this idea as a project for university radio documentary, um wondering what sort of points people want to hear um in a documentary and from the i reckon there must have been about 90 comments i would say at least 60 to 70 people all mentioned about the fact around the nhs and the lack of knowledge and understanding so you know the the, the ann williams who was uh, she has a, an nhs um profession by background it was interesting to talk to her and she sort of you know she she understood the fact that you know there's there is issues within the nhs um and you know hopefully from from speaking to people who have the condition in this project it'll hopefully raise a few um discussions possibly within the nhs hopefully i can't obviously guarantee it but you know if it, if it gets out as much places as possible then the hope is to you know raise awareness within that sort of issue i would say that's been raised by many people i've spoke to and with the um community facebook pages did you find they were just in england or was that worldwide um so i actually only was able to f- from trying maybe about I would say 10 or so I tried to join. It was only actually one that was able to actually fully join. All were were private. But after speaking to someone who was in one of the groups, I sort of explained, I was like, when I was trying to join one, for example, the options were, um, I'm a female and I agree to the terms and conditions and have lipedema. And the other one was, I'm a male and I don't agree. So oh. that was the only the, the only thing that I was able to do. So I didn't obviously wasn't able to join it, and I sort of I proposed that to one of the people that I spoke to, and she was like, "Well, one of the main reasons that it may be is that um, she's heard a lot from people about the condition being fetishized by men. Oh, so oh. there's 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 certain people who wouldn't want because obviously there is there is private photos that are of people's obviously legs etc in the in these groups um so yeah there's certain people who i'm not sure if she meant by example who who have went through that or if it's like a you know a a psychological mental health sort of thing um but yeah so that that was one of the things that she mentioned about people um believing that it was fetishized so not to allow any male in um but one thing i've heard from people is that they're happy to hear a male looking into it because it's as important for males to understand the condition as it is females. Yeah, we've done a a couple of interviews of um, chaps who go through lymphedema and also we had an interview with my father-in-law and sister-in-law. My mother-in-law died of breast cancer and she had lymphedema, lipedema from that. Um, And how that journey was what it looked like for family going through that process with lipedema, lymphedema, how the health system let them down through that journey. Um, So it's interesting to hear a male perspective when it comes to this diagnosis because, as, as you said, even here not a lot of people know about it and men included. I, I don't know how that world looks like for 
the people or the ladies who suffer with lipedema, lymphedema, I'm hoping their partners are, are more adapting and quite happy to assist them through the process if that's the process they want to go through. But, yeah, men, unfortunately, don't know as much as women, really. If the ladies don't know, well, the men don't know anymore unless yeah. it's it, unless it's in their face, then obviously something's in their face they're going to ask questions. I don't even think, even my son, when I first started lymphatic care, my son who, God love him, he's in his 20s and he didn't even know he had a lymphatic system and he didn't know anything about it. So he's not medically trained, he's just a guy and he learned about the lymphatic system because he started coming on board and working with us. But if my son doesn't know anything about the lymphatic system, what's Joe Blow know about the lymphatic system and lipedema? You know, that mm-hmm. that is um, a massive question that if just how people don't, there's a lot of people in this world that don't know anything about it and lymph, the lymphatic system, how it works and what it does. And it's really scary. They don't even know they've got one. It's just, it blows my mind that it's not enough knowledge out there to ask what your anatomy is about as simple as that yeah very sad i don't think there's anything else on that <laughs> no i think I've, I've i've went i've battered through my my list in my shopping cart as we as my lecturer said <laughs> <laughs> very good oh well i hope we answered all your questions harmony should be a politician obviously she's good with yep. words um which is amazing so she'll be able to and she was able to answer most of your questions for you and not just sat back and watched um, no no you know you but you both helped and i really do appreciate it um and you know i was actually i was saying to my my partner yesterday i was like i think i'm really nervous about tomorrow's interview and she was like why you've done so many before and i was like because like i, f- I feel like this interview you know getting a comparison from from a from another country um is would be quite important and quite interesting to a lot of people to find out you know what it's like um what it's like elsewhere with with different health services so i really yeah. do appreciate you know reaching oh, out that's and, okay we were yeah. just as nervous because we're thinking oh my god i know the question understand accent. <laughs> no no it wasn't even that it's like <laughs> oh we're really going to be put in the spotlight we're normally asking the questions and prompting our clients to tell their story and you know, we're getting prompted <laughs> to tell our story which yeah. is so different for us, but you know we we're learning. <laughs> you handled we, it perfectly. I think we did too. As I said, Harmony should be a politician, and maybe mm-hmm. she will. All right, I'm Fingers going crossed. to finish off here. Um, Thank you very much. Hey, we have a website info.lymphaticcare.org if you want to go and check us out. We also have Facebook and Instagram. There's lots to learn there. If you want to reach out via email info.lymphaticcare at gmail.com all those who live in the brisbane area give us a call 0410 032 335 gotta go